the threat is not over, and the worst is still yet to come. Certainly is. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WTPA, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have some... Okay, uh, some photo ID voting restriction news from several courts and several states to get to today in a little bit, including from the U.S. Supreme Court. Also, some news about Hurricane Michael, which is now just devastating the Florida Gulf Coast as we go to air. Uh, it came ashore as a uh, deadly Category 4 uh, category four storm with wind speeds up to 155 miles per hour, almost to Category 5. It has been downgraded, though I don't uh, like using that word, uh, to a uh, Category 3 just minutes ago. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. Uh, but first, very quickly, uh, all of all of this should be a reminder, uh, frankly, that um, we got an election coming up, and we can do something about all of this. But not if we're not registered to vote in advance of the crucial November 6 midterm elections. If you are not registered uh, or planning uh, or not planning to vote, just do it. Do both of them. Uh, and yes, harangue. I said harangue. Harangue your friends, your family members, your uh, neighbors, your children to do the same. We have never had an election more crucial for the nation and the planet than the one that we will have in less than four weeks now on November 6th. So to that end, voter registration deadlines are happening this week. Where are we here? In, uh, let's see, on Friday, October 12th in Idaho, New York, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Saturday, October 13th in Delaware. Monday, October 15th in Virginia. Next Tuesday, 
October 16 in Washington, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, Oregon, and West Virginia, and on Wednesday in South Carolina, uh, where the uh, registration was extended because of Hurricane Florence, as well as in uh, Wisconsin. So, uh, yeah, it's time to do it. It's time for you to talk to everyone you know about doing it, registering to vote, making sure you're still registered as you think you are by checking the website at, at your Secretary of State's office, at your county uh, headquarters, whatever you need to do. I know I, I have been haranguing you about this. I'm going to continue haranguing you, and I hope that you will harangue your friends and family and uh, neighbors and everyone else to participate in this. Sadly, as we uh, discussed on yesterday's show, Democrats have been forced to sue Republican Governor Rick Scott to extend the voter registration deadline in the state of Florida since it officially ended there. Uh, this past Tuesday, as uh, Governor Scott was warning residents near the Gulf Coast to evacuate and as uh, voter registration offices were being shut down due to Hurricane Michael. Back in 2016, a similar situation occurred with Hurricane Matthew coming ashore and Democrats had to sue and win an extension in the courts instead of, you know, Governor Scott simply doing the right thing. Scott, for his part, is in a close battle for the U.S. Senate with Democratic Senator Bill Nelson in Florida. And he is again extending registration, but only in some areas and only for one day. At least as of now, uh, the, the first day that registration offices can open again after this horrific storm, Hurricane Michael, whenever that might be. And whether or not evacuees are still far away from their hometown where they might be able to register. Republicans really don't want you to vote. We'll have more related news on that in a little bit. But for now, Desi Doyen, the National Weather Service uh, director on Wednesday morning, declared via Twitter as the storm was coming ashore in all caps, this is a worst case scenario for the Florida panhandle. That, after warning late on Tuesday night that areas of the state could become uninhabitable, for days, weeks, and even months. As I said, it came ashore as a very powerful Category 4. Uh, where are we uh, Where are we now at this time with this storm, Desi? Well, as you say, the National Weather Service has now declared Michael a Category 3, and they're still warning that it can produce life-threatening flash floods from the Florida Panhandle and the Big Bend region all the way into portions of southeast Alabama, Georgia, the Carolinas, and even up into southeast Virginia. So there's, it's still a very dangerous storm, and it will remain a very dangerous storm throughout the weekend until it hopefully heads out into the Atlantic next, uh, starting on Sunday or so. Um, you know, landfall, as you mentioned, was on Mexico Beach, Florida, um, and it was just two miles per hour below cat, uh, being the well, category— Cat 5. Yeah, the Category 5 threshold. And so remember, categories really only measure wind speeds. They don't measure storm surge. They don't measure flooding. Um, and only three continental U.S. hurricanes have had stronger wind speeds at landfall. And uh, the National Weather Service said that 
Michael intensified as it made landfall. It actually got more intense as it made landfall. And that's not supposed to happen. These are supposed to slow down, begin to break up once they... uh, Yeah, land is supposed to act as a a break on it. But So I have never heard of that happening. Doesn't mean that it hasn't ever happened, but it is exceedingly rare. The National Hurricane Center may actually identify Michael as a Category 5 in its post-hurricane season report. We'll find out then. You know, and just to give you a perspective on this category four winds as my mom who is a galveston native galveston island native she will tell you a category four uh, hurricane wind speeds are strong enough to destroy homes to collapse buildings so we have already seen some videos of that uh, coming out on social media from people who are emerging after the storm has passed that's probably the saving grace if any from hurricane michael is it's not moving slowly it's moving fast quickly yeah it's moving quickly so but the storm surge is still a coming oh yeah the storm surge is going to take a while to uh, to recede um so michael's officially the strongest storm to ever hit Florida's panhandle on record. Um, It's the third strongest storm to hit the state of Florida overall after Hurricane Andrew, and it is the first Category 4 hurricane to make landfall in the continental United States in the month of October since the 1950s. Um, And, and, you know, I... Pardon me for just a second here, but I, you know, we had, uh, I heard some audio uh, earlier today from Donald Trump saying, boy, people are saying that this is, uh, they'd never seen anything like this one. That's the same thing he said last year when (laughs) Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria. Gosh, we've never seen anything like this. Now, A, he tends to say that, you know, as if uh, he says, uh, I have the greatest casino of all time, as if he's almost taking credit for the worst hurricane of all time. But the fact that these keep coming, these keep coming ashore, uh, these these devastating storms, and he keeps acting as if he is surprised when people like you, Desi Doyen, have been warning about exactly this, and jerks like him for years and years have been pretending that there is no concern about what we are doing to our climate. Uh, Anyway, yes. Okay, you so, proceed. I'm. Right, I'm I know. I'll be. I'll sit over here being appalled. Oh, continue. Right. Well, just to continue, because I got more on on this that I want to get to in a second. All but right. Go ahead. So Michael is the fourth category four hurricane to hit the United States in just the last fourteen months. That's alongside Harvey, Irma, and Maria just last year. So uh, even downgraded to category three uh, wind speed, Michael is still the strongest hurricane to hit Georgia since 1858 landfall or just tracking yep. from Florida into Georgia. So, um, you know, these all and of since these... 1858, by the way, that was when I think record keeping began. Yes. So as far as we know, this could be the worst storm to hit Georgia ever. We say this a lot. We hear in the media, oh, since 1850. It could be much longer than that. We don't know. We've only been keeping. So it's I think it's fair to say it's the worst storm that has uh, hit Georgia, the strongest storm since record keeping began, might be a better way to put it. Yeah. And so, you know, overall, it's going to rank third as the lowest barometric pressure on record at landfall. And barometric pressure is a measure of intensity. So uh, it was actually, Michael is actually more intense than Katrina at landfall. It rivals Hurricane Camille in 1969. So for those of you who are old enough to remember that, that's bad. That's really, really bad. There are a lot of, uh, on social media, they're showing videos of buildings that have collapsed. Um, there was a four-story bank where all of the windows were blown out. So there's going to be an extensive amount of damage. 
And um, yeah, so it's it's this the reason why Michael is so intense is because of the conditions right now. Very warm ocean waters have provided enough fuel to sustain it. Uh, the warmer atmosphere that we have because of global warming holds more moisture, which intensifies the rainfall and intensifies the the, the energy that is in the hurricane. And Third, rising sea levels have lifted the baseline of storm surge. And why are those waters so warm? Why is the atmosphere so warm? Why has uh, the storm surge uh, become so much more dangerous and higher than it has been before? Global warming. Oh. In related news, one of the oldest coal companies in the U.S. filed for bankruptcy protection on Tuesday to deal with more than $1.4 billion in debt amid declining demand for the fuel. So I guess that means Donald Trump's war on coal is continuing in the second year of his presidency. Oh, wait, I thought that he ended that pretend war on coal. Why, why is there still a declining uh, demand for coal? And why is uh, a clean, beautiful coal company $1.4 billion in debt? I thought he saved the coal industry. I thought this was all over. I thought everything was better now. I thought we would be tired of all of this winning. Maybe it's because their product is no longer profitable because nobody wants to use it. And we keep seeing day after day why that is. So, hey, Republicans, has the market spoken, as you like to say? This is um, the uh, fourth major coal company to file for bankruptcy in the past three years. The uh, Colorado-based Westmoreland Coal Company filed Chapter 11 protection in uh, Houston as part of a restructuring agreement with an unnamed group of lenders. Hmm, wonder who they are. So uh, the fourth major coal company to go down uh, or at least to uh, declare bankruptcy within uh, the past three years. Coal companies, of course, struggle to continue to stay in business as demand has dropped due to a glut of cheap natural gas and the rise of renewable energy uh, sources. And some states who plan to reduce or eliminate coal from their energy portfolios entirely. There are no new coal plants. Zero. No new coal plants being built in the U.S. Two major coal consumers, China and India, meanwhile, have canceled projects as they seek to reduce air pollution. Oh, that's good. But I guess that means, oh, it's China and India's. They're having a war on coal. It wasn't Obama and Hillary Clinton after all. It was China and India, even though Republicans spent the last decade telling us over and over and over again that China and India would never give up their use of coal. Westmoreland coal officials uh, warned in August that declining industry conditions and significant debt, quote, give rise to substantial doubt about our ability to pay our obligations as they come due, according to the their filing with the uh, SEC. Uh, bail them out. 
I guess we're going to have to bail them out. That's what Republicans uh, pretend to oppose, right? Yeah, that's what they do. And listen, bankruptcy is when they talk about being unable to meet their obligations. They're talking about their obligations primarily to retired coal miners, people who you know gave up their health in order to mine this mm-hmm. coal for this company. That means that they can shed, legally shed, their obligations to pay retired miners uh, health care, retired miners pensions, and also they can abscond on the cleanup that they are required to do uh, for taxpayers. Westmoreland was incorporated in 1854 in Pennsylvania. I guess that was right around the time they started keeping records on hurricanes, if Mm -hmm. I remember your uh, years correctly. They have coal mines in Montana, Wyoming, New Mexico, Ohio, North Dakota, and Texas, and a coal-fired plant in North Carolina. In Montana, Coal demand involving Westmoreland's Rosebud Mine, for example, is expected to drop when two of the four units of the coal strip power plant cease operations by 2022. Wow, I guess Obama is still president in 2022. The company's other major Montana mine uh, on the Crow Indian Reservation has already seen demand drop. And uh, one of the uh, largest creditors here is the uh, U.S. Bureau of Indian Affairs, which Westmoreland owes $1.8 million in royalties, according to the bankruptcy filing. I wonder if they'll get that. I should say I wonder if we'll get that. I wonder if the Native American tribes who've had to deal with these coal mines will have to deal with that. We'll get any of that. In uh, response to the uh, filing, conservation groups renewed calls for Westmoreland to ensure that it has enough money in reserve to clean up its mines and pay severance to workers if it ceases operations. So, as you note, Desi Doyen, uh, how much you want to bet they do neither? I'm going to bet a lot. I'm not going to put a bet on that because I bet you they're not going to do any of it. And listen, this was not something that was a surprise. Coal has been declining around the world since 2011 when Alpha Resources, the the nation's largest coal company, filed for bankruptcy. They've had plenty of warning to diversify their energy resources. If they want to call themselves an energy company, then they could diversify their energy sources. And they have chosen not to. Marianne Hitt of the Sierra Club says, quote, Nothing can stop America's shift away from coal and toward clean energy, but the transition should be managed to ensure workers are treated with respect and that vital environmental obligations are honored. Again, uh, how much you want to bet that doesn't happen. Meanwhile, with coal on the ropes, the rest of the fossil fuel industry That would be largely the oil and gas sector. They continue uh, their desperate attempt to avoid responsibility for what they have done, even as the mainstream corporate media, at least the folks from Bloomberg here today, uh, seem to be all too happy to help them extend their lives as long as possible. According to Bloomberg, an effort to put a tax on carbon dioxide emissions Just one, what Bloomberg describes as an unlikely underwriter, a top producer of oil and gas. ExxonMobil is putting $1 million into a political campaign that, if successful, would effectively spawn a tax tied to the company's core products. Wow, $1 million to support a carbon tax. From ExxonMobil, an unlikely underwriter, says Bloomberg. 
The, uh, the move is consistent with Exxon's long-standing support for price on carbon dioxide, Bloomberg says, imposed instead of an array of environmental regulations that already elevate the cost of fossil fuels. But it marks the fir- very first such contribution by a major oil company to the effort. Ted Halstead, chief executive of Climate Leader Council, I'm sorry, Climate Leadership Council, uh, that developed this underlying plan for a carbon tax uh, called Americans for Carbon Div- Dividends, says this is the first time a U.S. oil and gas super major is putting real money behind a carbon pricing effort. It's just never been done before. A multi, uh, a multi, a million dollar gift is not small for this type of thing, said Halstead. Actually, Mr. Halstead, I would say it is. As Bloomberg also reports way down, much later in the report, Exxon's $1 million pledge represents the amount it generated about every two minutes last year, based on revenue data compiled by Bloomberg. But, and they write but when it seems like it should be and here, uh, and the commitment appears to stand out from the company's other political spending. For instance, Exxon reported $11.4 million in total lobbying expenses in 2017. So they're willing to spend more than $11 million a year to lobby uh, elected officials to do what they want, they're not spending $11 million lobbying for a carbon tax. No, they I can certainly promise you that. are not. And yet we're all lauding the fact that they put a paltry $1 million uh, behind this group for carbon tax. And, of course, there is also a caveat to this. There's also a catch, a huge, huge catch. What Exxon wants in exchange for this carbon tax that they've put this paltry amount towards, what they want in exchange for a carbon tax on fossil fuel emissions is they want all of those climate liability lawsuits to go away forever. They want immunity, blanket immunity, similar to the blanket immunity that the gun industry has. You cannot sue them. You can't get anything. And similar to the immunity that the nuclear industry has, they can't be sued either for any accidents. Now the fossil fuel industry wants to ensure that they have blanket immunity from here on out forever for all of the economic damage that they have caused and that they are going to cause from burning their product by causing catastrophic climate change. This is what they want. ExxonMobil spokesperson uh, Scott Silvestri uh, says, quote, we've been supportive of a revenue neutral price on carbon for a decade. Talking about the uh, the tax or fee that does not actually raise revenue for the government because it's revenue neutral. So anything that's raised uh, supposedly goes back to somebody the people i guess to the to the ratepayers well that is one of the models that they're talking about that you uh charge a carbon tax which means the richest people will be able to afford it but then the revenue is either uh plowed into renewable energy products projects or would be put towards uh just giving it back to households like they do in alaska for example where you get a dividend every year from oil and gas royalties if you're a resident of alaska but it doesn't actually do anything to stop the emissions of carbon, all it does is make it more expensive. 
Silvestri says applying a uniform cost across the economy is consistent with our principles on how to manage the risk of climate change. Well, the other way that Exxon has tried to manage the risk of climate change is by pouring tens of millions of dollars into groups and candidates to deny that it even exists, as they have now been doing for decades. But hey, you know what? One million dollars. That's a pretty cheap price to pay for getting this kind of publicity from Bloomberg. Am I too skeptical here? Under the Climate Leadership Council's blueprint uh, for this uh, plan for uh, a, a carbon tax, every ton of carbon dioxide would be hit with a tax, potentially starting at $40 per ton, raising over time, and then, yes, revenue distributed to households. The carbon tax would boost the cost of energy derived from oil, natural gas, and coal, thereby discouraging the use of those fossil fuels and encouraging the development of low-carbon power alternatives. At least that's the theory. The resulting carbon cuts would exceed reductions that the U.S. had promised as part of the Paris Climate Accord, according to an assessment by uh, Resources for the Future, which is a nonpartisan think tank. And... Um, even farther down in the article, it says, Although ExxonMobil has long endorsed the idea of a fee on carbon, that hasn't always translated to support for specific proposals. For example, they write, uh, and good for them for writing this. I wish this was closer to the top of the article, <laughs> frankly. But, yeah. um, you know, Exxon saying, oh, we've always been in favor of a carbon tax. Well, not really. Uh, the company stayed out of a fight over a 2016 Washington state ballot initiative that would have imposed a statewide carbon tax. That initiative was ultimately defeated. But you know what? If ExxonMobil, if they really wanted that, why they could have joined that fight for exactly that. They could have put in a few million dollars to see that thing get passed in Washington state. But for some reason, when they had the opportunity to actually see this carbon tax that they pretend that they want, they were nowhere to be found. When um, the organizer of that effort up in Washington state asked Exxon for its backing, the company declined to help fund the initiative or even to publicly endorse it. They wouldn't even come out and say without, you know, no money in it, just say, hey, we support this because we've always believed in a carbon tax. They uh, they they wouldn't even endorse it. The uh, organizer of that effort, Joram Bauman, uh, told Bloomberg in an interview, uh, quote, does that call into question their commitment? Absolutely, he said. Moreover, many of the companies advocating the carbon tax and dividend plan stand to benefit from the policies, encouraging low and no emission energy. Notably, there is no coal mining concern that has yet signed up to this uh, to offer a support here. Of course, most of those coal mining concerns are going out of business, but, you know, whatever. So coal mine, uh, the, the, the coal companies are not supporting this, but... For oil and natural gas companies, carbon tax would be a great thing for their business, at least in the short term, because it helps propel electricity generation away from coal and then, yes, over to natural gas, where companies like ExxonMobil stand to make tons and tons of money. Eli Lair, president of the R Street Institute, a free market think tank that supports such a tax, says, quote, the short term beneficiary of a carbon tax is going to be natural gas. 
There is an excellent reason for ExxonMobil to do this solely from a commercial standpoint. Plus, free publicity for what a great company they are and how much they care about the environment because they put $1 million, $1 million into this effort. Yeah, that's what Exxon does. That's how the uh, corporate mainstream media likes to portray what they do. Makes it sound like it's a great deal until you read the article. So that's what they do. And here's what we do. We go and vote and we try to do something about this, about this mess. Let's take a quick break and we will come back uh, and talk about the latest in the fight to vote in a whole bunch of states. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Megan R. writes in via Facebook to say, listen to your show from Monday. That was uh, on the weekend confirmation of accused sexual assaulter and proven liar Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court. She said, sometimes you need a little rage against the machine. Linking to the band's song, Know Your Enemy. So there it is. Keep raging, Megan. And for all of you uh, joining her in rage, you've got a place to take out at least some of that rage on November 6th. Uh, but for many, it will not be easy as Republicans continue to make it as hard as possible for some people, perhaps people like Megan, to vote at all this year. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The, uh, let's start here. Uh, and, and, you know, Desi Doyen, these, there are too many now incoming problems uh, all over the country. Well, the this voter is, suppression, the dirty tricks and so forth that we've been warning about. This is what you've been predicting. Yep. You said, listen, it's going to get worse. This is going to become a tsunami of horrible news about voter suppression, dirty tricks, uh, voter registration problems, election day problems, early voting problems, touchscreen voting machine problems. It's going to get worse and it's going to be tough to keep track. But people have to pay attention. Keep track and keep up, frankly, for me. Let's start here in uh, North Dakota. The U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday upheld a lower court uh, order requiring voters in North Dakota to present certain forms of identification and proof of their residential address in order to cast a ballot next month's midterm elections. A case challenging this requirement on behalf of the state's sizable Native American populations allege that the requirement would disenfranchise tribal residents, many of whom lack proper ID and, this is key here, do not have residential address addresses listed on their ID cards, on their tribal ID cards. The Supreme Court's order will likely make it harder for Senator Heidi Heitkamp, considered the most vulnerable Democrat in the Senate, to retain her seat in November. Pima Levy reports over at Mother Jones. Heidkamp won her seat by less than 3,000 votes back in 2012 
with strong backing from the Native American community in North Dakota, and she is uh, the only statewide elected Democrat currently in the state. But after she won in 2012, Republicans there began changing the voting rules to make it harder to cast a ballot months after her victory. Republicans have uh, claimed that changes to their voter ID requirements in the state are needed in order to stop fraud, even though in-person fraud is exceedingly rare, even in North Dakota, the only state in the union that has no voter registration. Now, this uh, decision by the Supreme Court did not include Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He was sworn in on Monday. He did not partake in this uh, decision. But Justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, Elena Kagan dissented. Curiously, neither Justices Sandra uh, Sotomayor or, uh, or, nor Stephen Breyer joined in with, into that dissent for some reason. I'll have a thought on that in a moment. But... Um, What actually happened here? Okay, North Dakota's 2017 voter ID law was challenged by Native residents who alleged that the law disproportionately blocked Native Americans from being able to vote. So this was a 2017 law that said you had to have uh, residential addresses on your uh, ID cards. And then in April of this year, a federal district court judge agreed with that challenge and blocked large portions of this law, finding it discriminatory. At the time, Judge Daniel uh, Hovland wrote, quote, the state has acknowledged that Native American communities often lack residential street addresses. Nevertheless, under current state law, an individual who does not have a current residential street address will never be qualified to vote. That's because out on uh, a lot of these reservations, which are very rural, uh, people live in various houses. They're, they don't even have addresses on the houses themselves. Yeah, the post office doesn't go out to all the little houses, individual houses out in the distance. They go to a P.O. box center. And even if they did, there, there's, there's no, no address. There's no street. Uh, according to the uh, Native American Rights Fund... Uh, who's representing the plaintiffs in this case, many Native residents lack residential street addresses because, quote, the U.S. Postal Service does not provide residential delivery in these rural Indian communities. As a result, they uh, use these P.O. boxes, which are not sufficient under North Dakota's law. So happily, back in April, prior to uh, this year's primary election, uh, a federal judge blocked this law, or at least this part of the law that would have made it so that none of these folks could cast a vote at all. Judge Hovland's ruling was in place during the primaries this spring. But in September, after the primaries, the federal Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals allowed the law to go back into effect. And on Tuesday, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld that ruling. So that means that people who were able to vote back in the primaries this year in this uh, Senate race will will no longer be allowed to vote unless they can figure out how to how to get a, a an address uh, on the, onto their tribal ID or some other form of identification that includes their residential addresses, which often do not exist. 
In her dissent, Justice Ginsburg argued that the Supreme Court's order was at odds with one of the top court's most frequently invoked doctrines on election law. That would be not to change the rules right before an election. That's the so-called Purcell principle, which... Uh, Justice Roberts uh, and his right-wing court seem to only make sure to apply when it is convenient to Republicans, it seems. Uh, By allowing a different set of uh, ID rules in the general election than from the primary, Ginsburg warned the court was risking widespread confusion and disenfranchisement, which is exactly why the U.S. Supreme Court used to claim that we're not going to allow these rules to change. This was even in cases where It was proven, it was shown in the lower courts that tens of thousands of voters stood to be disenfranchised. And they would say, well, yeah, that might be the case, but we're not going to allow that to to go in effect. We're not going to change the law this late in the game. Now, apparently, they don't mind changing it. Uh, Ginsburg wrote, the risk of voter confusion appears severe here because the injunction against requiring residential address identification was in force during the primary election. The injunction against that. So you didn't have to do it in the primary election. And she says because uh, the secretary of state's website announced for months the I.D. requirement as they existed under that injunction. So they have been telling voters for months what the laws would be and that they would be able to vote even without a residential address on their uh, on their ID. Ginsburg wrote reasonable voters may well assume that the IDs allowing them to vote in the primary election would remain valid in the general election. But of course, uh, that is no longer the case. Ginsburg noted that according to the factual record of the case, about 20 percent of voters likely to try to cast a ballot in the midterms will now lack the required ID. Um, Another approximately 18,000 North Dakota residents also lack supplemental uh, documentation sufficient to permit them to vote without a qualifying ID, she noted. So we're talking about lots of voters in a Senate race that the Democrat won six years ago by just 3,000 votes. And tens of thousands of voters may not be able to vote at all this year. And there's nowhere to turn at this point. The Supreme Court has said, sorry, too bad. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, our friend over at Slate, legal reporter, says it's very likely that Sotomayor and Breyer might have joined um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Kagan in order to block the uh, voter ID law if they had had a fifth vote. But alas, they did not. Apparently, that means there was only... Four at best who are willing to uh, to block this change. Um, Ruth Hopkins, a uh, North Dakota uh, 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 posts on uh, Twitter that North Dakota native voters who do not have a residential address uh, can use these following instructions to try to vote in the midterms. I say try to vote. <clears throat> um she writes uh, from uh, Native Vote ND that if you encounter anyone who says that they do not have a residential street address um, to provide, uh, they can apparently <clears throat> call the 911 coordinators in their county, make a phone call, and ask to start a process that will um, allow them, that, w- that will actually give them an address. They have to explain where they live to the 911 coordinator. 
<clears throat> this will uh, somehow uh, end up creating an address for their uh, for their home. And then after the address is assigned, the office assigning it will provide a letter confirming this new address and that that letter can then be used to either obtain an ID or supposedly as a documentation for voting purposes on Election Day on November 6. That's the process that folks will will now need to go through in uh, North Dakota in order to vote. It should not be this hard to vote in this country. This is ridiculous. And this is the one state in the union that does not require voter registration. Everyone's registered to vote. That's good. <clears throat> but now Republicans hope to stop them any way that they can. And, of course, the rest of the country... Uh, is going to pay the price for this because, you know, control of the Senate could rely on uh, on what happens in North Dakota in um, marginally better news, uh, better voter ID court news today <clears throat> in Missouri. A Cole County judge on Tuesday upheld most of the Missouri law requiring that voters present an ID at the polls, but. Here's the good news. Barred the state from requiring voters without a photo ID to sign a statement that the court deemed as misleading. And that's putting it nicely. <clears throat> the uh, ruling bars election officials from enforcing a requirement that a voter lacking a valid photo ID sign a sworn statement while presenting some other form of identification in order to cast a regular ballot. It also prevents the state from advertising that a photo ID is required to vote, as apparently the state has been doing, even though that is not the case. So you don't have to have a photo ID to vote in Missouri, <clears throat> but under this new law, you present another form of ID, an acceptable form of ID, like a bank statement, a paycheck stub, etc., and then you sign this affidavit uh, saying, uh, yes, this is me, and uh, no, I couldn't get a photo ID or whatever it is, whatever it said on the statement, that is actually misleading. The, uh, in this case, the permanent injunction by senior Cole County Circuit Judge Richard Callahan takes effect, effect immediately, but Republican Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft has said he plans to ask that the ruling be put on hold while he appeals to a higher court. Now, he can't go to the U.S. Supreme Court in this case because this is a, a state judge, a state decision, so the Supreme Court can't interfere. Um, <clears throat> but uh, they're still going to challenge it. They're going to take it to a higher court within the state. The case will affect voting procedures in the very close general election, believed to be very close between Democratic U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill and her Republican challenger, Attorney General Josh Hawley, whose office defended the state law on behalf of Ashcroft. Hawley is said to be barely ahead of McCaskill in uh, recent polling averages, another key Senate race here in a state that Donald Trump won by a large margin in 2016. Priorities USA uh, which is a progressive organization. They had challenged this uh, voter ID law in a file uh, lawsuit filed in June. And again, this is largely good news. Uh, it's hard to tell, but this is largely uh, good news. Missouri voters back in 2016 gave the state authority by a constitutional amendment to impose 
a photo ID voting requirement, and under the state's requirement, voters must present a government-issued photo ID prior to voting if they have one, but voters who do not have a photo ID but had one of the other acceptable forms of ID that don't have a photo on it, they're supposed to sign a statement confirming their identity under penalty of perjury. But Judge Callahan ruled on Tuesday that the state could not require, quote, voters otherwise qualified to cast a regular ballot to then sign a sworn statement the way that it is currently written, saying that they don't have a photo ID. He said, quote, it impermissibly infringes on a citizen's right to vote as guaranteed under the Missouri Constitution and that the language on the statement was contradictory and misleading. He said the affidavit plainly requires the voter to swear that they do not possess a form of personal identification approved for voting while simultaneously presenting to the election authority a form of personal identification that is approved for voting. It's nutty, but they tried to push it through anyway. They got it through. And he's trying to to stop this because it's going to make, uh, well, it actually makes a criminal out of everyone who signs it because they're saying, I don't have the required ID to vote, and yet I just presented the required ID to vote. That was the law. That is how this is written. The judge called it an outright misstatement of the law <clears throat> on this affidavit form. By requiring voters to acknowledge that a photo ID is required when, in fact, it is not required. Judge Callahan also scolded the state for circulating advertisement, uh, advertising material saying that a photo ID is required to vote. In any event, so that's why I say it's a marginal victory. Uh, Priorities USA uh, seems to be happy about it. They say today's ruling preventing the state of Missouri from imposing additional burdens on voters who lack photo ID is an important victory for voting rights that will assure future elections in the state are open and accessible to every eligible voter. Uh, Maybe. But anyway, there's a bit of better, slightly better news in the the fight to vote that should not be this difficult, at least for voters in uh, Missouri today and uh, and for the rest of us in the country who, yes, do care about what happens in the state's U.S. Senate race. That affects everybody and everything in the nation and, yes, on the planet Very quickly, uh, before we get to a break here, back to some not good news again in this regard. Sorry. Uh, In uh, in Georgia, where earlier this week we discussed the process that Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp, uh, who is running for governor against progressive uh, African-American Democrat Stacey Abrams, um, we discussed the process that Kemp calls voter roll maintenance, which means in this case the cancellation of some one and a half million voter registrations since 2012. Nearly 670,000 uh, voter roll, uh, uh, voter registrations have been purged in 2017 alone. Now AP is reporting. Well, they reported this way, Marsha. Appling Nunez was showing the college students that she teaches how to check online to find out if they're registered to vote when she made a troubling discovery. 
Despite being an active Georgia voter who had cast ballots in recent elections, she found she was no longer registered. Appling Nunez said, I was kind of shocked. She had moved from one Atlanta suburb to another in May and believed that she had successfully changed her address on the voter rolls. See, this is why we tell folks, you can't just register. You can't just make sure that uh, you're, you're registered at the correct address. At this point, we all have to keep checking the voter registration website to make sure they haven't done what Georgia has done here. 53,000 voter registrations, like Appling Nunez is, are currently sitting on hold by Kemp. And uh, these are predominantly black voters, according to an analysis by AP, and uh, these voters may not even know that their registration is being held up. Uh, They are being flagged. 53,000 voter registrations are being flagged because reportedly they run afoul of the state's exact match verification process. Under this policy, Uh, Information on voter applications must precisely match information on file with the Georgia Department of Driver Services or with the Social Security Administration. If they don't, then election officials can place a non-matching application on hold. And when we say exact match, this uh, means that the application can be held because of an error, an error either by the voter or by whoever it is, the election official who who, who entered it into the system or because, for example, a dropped hyphen in the last name, for example, in the last name of Marsha Appling Nunez, who has a hyphen in her last name where it's sometimes used and sometimes not. Appling Nunez said she never saw any notice from the secretary of state from Kemp, who was running for governor indicating there was any problem with her application. She was not told about this. And uh, AP's analysis uh, reveals, yep, a racial diversity, uh, a racial uh, disparity in the process. Georgia's population is approximately 32% black, according to the U.S. Census, but the list of voter registrations on hold with Kemp's office is nearly 70% black. Kemp's office uh, blamed the disparity on the New Georgia Project. That's a voter registration group that was founded by Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee for governor. Uh, He accuses the group of being sloppy in their registrations. Uh, And he says that uh, any legal threat against the exact match policy uh, is little more than a frivolous lawsuit from liberal activist groups. That's where we are. That's how difficult this fight is. That's how hard it's going to remain between now and November 6. So we'll keep uh, letting you know about it. We'll keep reminding you uh, to check your registrations. Sorry that we have to keep doing that. And frankly, we will do it because we hope that you are just as annoying to everyone you know in your family, at work, in your neighborhood to do exactly the same thing. This democracy ain't going to save itself, but maybe we can if we keep up the fight. Quick break, and we're back with the Bradcast, our closing few minutes. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. (laughs) 
Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Yes, that uh, that's a sign that Angie Coiro will be in for us over the next couple of days here on the broadcast uh, yeah. as we hit the roads. Uh, whether the clouds will clear by then, I don't know. But uh, Angie Coiro of In Deep Radio will be sitting in for us uh, as we have no choice but to be on the road for the next two days. Um, I will wish her luck in advance. But you know what? I feel like I've been uh, yelling at everybody this entire show. So maybe it's good that I take a little bit of a break here uh, of a sort. Um, Some listener email from uh, Sarah on Facebook. Uh, She sent a message to us where you can find us on the Facebook at The Brad Blog. She said... Uh, In regard to Bob Kincaid, our friend from West Virginia, who was uh, on a couple of days ago with us uh, talking about Joe Manchin, supposedly Democratic Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. And uh, Bob Kincaid, of course, is a great progressive who I think it's almost fair to say despises Joe Manchin. Yeah. um, Said he is going to have to hold his nose and vote for him nonetheless, even though Manchin voted in favor of Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court. And we talked about that. You can download that uh, that uh, episode at bradblog.com. Sarah writes, I found Kincaid's argument that we need to reelect Manchin because Trump could nominate one or even two more Supreme Court justices to be absurd. She says, one, Manchin voted for Kavanaugh even when he was up for re-election and was under pressure from liberals. Two, Manchin voted that way even though the race was not close and could easily afford to lose seven or eight percentage points. Manchin is up above his uh, Republican opponent by about 10 points, even though he could afford to lose seven or eight percentage points at the elections and still win. So why should one expect Manchin to vote the way liberals want when he is safely back in office? Well... Quick answer to that, uh, Sarah. I don't know that Joe Manchin will vote the way that liberals want when he is safely back in office for anything. However, he caucuses with Democrats. That means that if Democrats can come up with 51 U.S. senators, yes, including Joe Manchin, then they will take control of uh, every Senate, uh, every uh, committee in the Senate, what gets voted on by the uh, by the Senate, etc. That means appointments, lifetime appointments to the federal bench, 
that means any, uh, you know, any laws that right now Republicans may wish to pass. So it's not about whether Manchin is actually going to vote in favor of Democrats. It's uh, the idea that he caucuses with them and could, if he's reelected, help uh, result in a Democratic majority. Giving them the numbers in the Senate to actually stop things, giving the good Democrats, so-called, some power to stop things. Right now, they have none. All right. Speaking of uh, all of this and Brett Kavanaugh and everything else and Donald Trump's uh, claims earlier in the week that, oh, this is a scary time, scary time to be a man, to be a young man. Because, you know, someday you may be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court and someone will allege that you committed sexual assault. Well, I disagree that it's a scary time to be a man. Uh, And so does Lindsay Lab. And see, this is how we're going to feel a little bit better going out by uh, playing a song. That'll maybe make us feel a little bit better. Lindsay Lamb Lab uh, posted this song that went viral earlier this week, uh, along with this uh, Twitter remark. It's a really scary time for dudes right now. So I wrote a song about it. Here's that song. I can't walk to my car late at night while on the phone. I can't open up my windows when I'm home alone. I can't go to the bar I can't use public transportation after 7 p.m. I can't be brutally honest when you slide into my DMs. I can't go to the club just to dance with my friends. And I can't ever leave my drink unattended. But it sure is scary time for boys. Yeah, gentlemen, band together, make some noise. It's really tough when your reputation's on the line. And any woman you've assaulted could turn up anytime. Let's go make some noise. Go vote, she says, on uh, November 6th. That was Lindsay Lab. Uh, And this is real. There's a whole bunch of dudes out there who are really uh, certain that this is a really scary time for them. You can go read our uh, comments on my Facebook uh, page, The Brad Blog, and see one guy who's just going nuts 
Can't even read what he wrote because it's FCC radio here. But boy, are these dudes idiots. Uh, anyway, yep. uh, thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep doing what we try to do every day through these, yes, actually very scary times for all of us. That's it. Angie's in tomorrow. We'll see you a couple days from now. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.